Amen. It is good for us to be here. I love uh, when we get to see pictures of the various things that have happened this past weekend um, that were going on because it is kind of busy around here and we do enjoy the opportunity to get out into the community. We're in the uh, fifth chapter of Nehemiah and uh, we're talking about like building things back up and what does that mean and what does that mean for you as an individual and what does it mean for us as a church even. And I do want to talk about that, both what it means for you as an individual or what it means for us as a church because when life goes crash, when it does go crash, and we've said that a number of times, we don't want to beat it to death, but let's just be honest, when life goes crash, um, it does in fact um, reveal itself. I mean, it's not like somebody has to come and tell you that your life just went crash. A couple of years ago, you're very aware because you loved on us so very well <clears throat> that um, my son was in a car accident. My uh, youngest son was in a car accident um, that all but cost him his life. I mean, it was close. Um, scared the living daylights out of all of us. And then at the same time that my wife was babysitting him in the hospital, um, she ended up in the emergency room and we found out that she had a, a tumor the size of a, a softball or whatever grapefruit or whatever it was. And it was just like, wow, how do we never see that coming? And it just, I mean, life went crash for us in, in that month. It, it was just, I mean, it was unreal what all was going on. And it felt very much like a spiritual attack. And as we, as we were doing that, it's like nobody had to come to us and say, I think you guys are under spiritual attack. Nobody had to come to us and say, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but life is getting hard for you right now. Um, nobody had to come and say, hey, you know what you should do next? Because there were days when we didn't know what to do next. We just got up, fed ourselves, and did the next thing, whatever that might be. And, and so we had to live through that. So nobody has to tell you that you're in a tight spot, so to speak. But sometimes we get to the place where, sooner or later I should say, we get to the place where you got to start making decisions. You just have to make decisions. For Nehemiah, we've talked about this, we're going to wrap up chapter 2, and as Pastor Janice said, excuse me, as Pastor Janice said, we are going to be going through the, the next couple of chapters pretty quickly. But this, this chapter 1 and 2 absolutely sets a foundation for our personal relationship to God and the crises that we go through at times, whether it's financial, relational, marriage, kids, jobs, um, you pick, pick something. There are days when we sit down and we're like, let's just don't do that anymore because it's this or that. And, and uh, nobody has to tell you. So for Nehemiah, he just had to say, you know what, I'm going to Jerusalem. And we talked about that last week. Uh, it would appear that he got, when he was in Jerusalem, he got on a donkey or a horse. Um, he's going to call it a mount. And he sneaks out to see the extent. He surveys the damage of what's going on here. So I just want to read that part of the, the scripture. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. I'm in my Bible. It will show up up there. It is on your phone, uh, your phone on YouTube. Uh, excuse me, not YouTube, you version. Um, and so you can find it there. All right. Um, but it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse um, 11, I went to Jerusalem. There you go. The only thing to do, he gets his letters, he gets his um, papers from the king, and he heads off to Jerusalem. I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few men. Now, <clears throat> don't ever just read your Bible. Read your Bible. Okay, read the words that it says, because they're incredibly important. It says, I set out during the night with a few men. He waited until NCIS was over to go outside when it was dark. Okay? And some of you are like, really? They had NCIS back then? No. 
They did not, okay? I'm just making the point here, okay? He went out at night. Check this out. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do in Jerusalem. He just said to a couple of people, come, follow me. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus said that a lot. Nehemiah is saying it. Come with me, let's go outside. There were no mounts except the one I was riding on. Everybody had to walk except Nehemiah. He's going to ride, and that's how it's going to be. All right? By night, I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well, down to the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and the gates which had been destroyed in fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. Very small gate, okay? So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because I, as yet, had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles, officials, or any others who would be doing the work. And then, the then is very important. And then, what that means is, in the story, something is about to begin. And then, he says, I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start building. So they began this good work. But then, but when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, had heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And I love his answer. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you don't have any part in this in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And that's the picture. As we go into this thing, as you look up here, and as you see this, this map up here, um, this, is, this is a picture of what they estimate that Jerusalem looked like um, back in Nehemiah's day. And you can't see it, but the gate, the valley gate he went out is on the other side of the wall away from you. And then he came down to the dung gate at the little point, uh, just up the, from the little point. And then he circled around and he checked out this and then he checked out the king's pool. And then he tried to go into a little tiny gate that his horse or his donkey, don't know which one it was would not fit through and as he went up through there if you can imagine all of these walls are just lying in rubble and so as he tries to enter a gate up there obviously he says the gates are torn down and they're burned with fire but as he tries to go through the the gateway if you will his horse will not fit through it okay or his donkey not apparently even if he gets off and walks it through i don't know but remember this is a he's being perceived as a high official he's being perceived as somebody that came with letters that all of the other governors have to listen to him because king artaxerxes said so so he's not just anybody but he has not talked to the priests or any leaders in jerusalem of the of the jewish people he hasn't come in and said hey i'm here great things are going to happen you can't wait let me just tell, let me they just see him show up i mean have you ever been there it's like you know you're in the classroom when you were in elementary school no elementary school it was a wonderful thing when the principal walked in but in high school when the principal walked into the class everybody went <gasps> and it got that quiet it did 
Because you don't know if he came in to get you out, somebody out, or the teacher out. You really don't know. But as, as uh, Nehemiah was going around that wall up there, and as he circled back around, he could not get his horse back through that gate. And as he could not get his horse back through that gate, he had to make some decisions. And so he decided that he was going to go all the way back around to the other side, and he was just going to do this thing, and it was going to be... And this is what he saw. He saw that all of the rubble was there. And the gates were burned. And just about that fast is how quickly things go crash in your life and my life. Just that fast. And people look and go, ah! but then you have to make decisions, right? You've got to decide what to do. And, and here's something that I learned from Nehemiah, <clears throat> and that is this. If you look at this and you see all the balls, then you think, oh my goodness. Run up there and get those things picked up real quick and put them back for him. There's a lot of work to do. Or you say, I don't know how to begin this work, but I know if I tip this thing up like this, and I begin by just putting one more back in, I think we can do this. And it's not so much that you look at the project and you say, the visionary, Nehemiah, sees the walls up when he sees Jerusalem. But he's got to convince the people that are going to pick up a brick at a time what it looks like. Because they're only going to pick up a brick at a time. And sometimes in your life, when it all tips over and runs across the room, then you have to decide what's going to be your first brick. And it doesn't need to be some, you know, like college math equation. It just needs to be what's right in front of you right now. Make the phone call. Go visit them. Save the money. Do the thing. Get the education. Walk into the bursar's office. Uh, go into a college counselor's office. Um, clean up your resume and get it ready. You just have to decide what is the first step. And if you're not going to do it yourself, then you have to begin to convince all of the people that are around you that are like, can I help you? Yes, let me show you a plan that says we can put all of these colorful little balls back in this tube and it will be awesome. If we can get all of those colorful balls in that tube, it would be amazing. Not that the colorful balls really need to be in the tube for anything the vineyard's doing. But just in our lives, generally speaking, there comes a time when Nehemiah says, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing. I'm going to go survey all the colorful balls that are laying around the property. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to have a talk with them. And that's what he was doing. He came in. He comes back. He gather, gathers the crowd together and he begins to sell his vision. And he says, people, the city is in ruins as if they didn't know. They had come back and the city is in ruin. Nehemiah did not have to tell them that truth. They were living that truth. The walls were crumbled, the gates were burned, the people were disgraced, discouraged, and depressed. But he's beginning to sell them some hope. Because the next thing he says is, but God has given me a vision. I have a plan. I have a vision. 
People are watching, people are helping, people are making it happen, but we also know that people are interfering with the people that are going to be doing the work. He already has an idea that these, guys, these three guys are, are just going to mess with him, Geshem and Tobiah and Sanballat. It's like he understands who they are. He's not fooled by them. But he's selling the vision to the people. But he's got to convince the people that the work that they're doing is incredibly important and the reward is going to be worth the sacrifice. I remember when we planted this church back in 2009, um, Kevin Clark had called me and I went and sat down with him and it was all wonderful and we discussed what it was and, and, and I had a vision for what the church could be. And the end of the, the, end of the vision was just simply this. If we can gather together and make worship so important that we recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit and God in our midst, it will begin to change our lives. And if we can put together um, small groups so that people will get into them and choose to be an actual part, not just like show up, but actually do the little studies and things, that we can grow them in maturity and then eventually, and the goal will always be to get outside of any building that we happen to be in because we certainly weren't in this one back in the day. And make a difference in the community that we live in. And that's all I wanted to do. I said, I don't want to be the biggest church in Madison County. I just want to know if we can have the biggest footprint. If we can make the biggest difference. If what we do, we can do to see people's lives change. Here it comes. Because people are going to hell in Madison County. And it's crazy. It's crazy the way things are happening here. But let's, let's just stick with Nehemiah. So he tells them the city's in ruin. He tells them that he has a plan. And the next thing he does is he reminds them of God's faithfulness. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start building. So they began this good work and they saw what was going on. And then you get into chapter three. And if you've read chapter three, and I would encourage you to read chapter three slowly, read all the words of chapter 3, then you will see that Nehemiah lays out for everybody, look here, uh, the Robinson family, they're going to build from the dung gate all the way around to um, the water gate. They're going to they're do that. That's going to be their job. And somebody else is going from the valley gate down to the dung gate. Somebody else is going from the tower up to this. And it's all laid out. And it is crazy amazing to me how whole families got involved at one point they said and this guy got his daughters to do it and I'm assuming that means he didn't have any sons and so it's like he got him and his daughters they built all of this stuff and at one point and we'll get into it later they're all standing there with a brick in this hand and a sword in this hand and, and we'll talk about that but the idea well we're talking about it right now it says nobody's doing it for personal gain they're doing it for the community but there is so much opposition that they have to have a physical weapon of war on them while they're doing it. Can you imagine? They've got a sword in one hand, a brick in the other. We've got a gun in this hand, and we've got a drywall screw gun in this hand while we're building. Our, I mean, that's kind of like if you move it forward a couple of thousand years. That's what it would be like. It's like, we're going to be here and we're going to have people looking for people coming in to try to hurt us. It's, it's starting to sound like, you know, 1943 and 1944 in Europe. 
People are hiding in the attics because they're afraid that their neighbors are going to tell on them or their neighbors are going to attack and kill them. And I'm telling you, the day is coming, the scripture says, when people will kill you and think that they're doing God a favor. Get ready. Because I don't know when it's going to come. But what I do know is he sold this vision of people coming together to build a community and build back a community, I'd say. And these people worked all day and then they set watches, their families set watches all night so that nobody would come in and tear the wall back down and, and destroy their work. And so I'm sure they napped and slept and napped and slept. But this, is, this was a new lifestyle for them. You don't enter the kingdom of God without changing your lifestyle. Because it affects all the areas of your life. In all reality, COVID-19, politics, pride, narcissism, all of that has decimated the church, the gatherers, the followers of the way, whatever you want to call it, has decimated the church in America. It really has. And our church isn't exempt. It's not. When there's a problem, there's a number of different responses. And we say, man, what is going on? People will tell you that X number of pastors are leaving their churches over the last two years. People will tell you, I think it's like 1,500 pastors a year, 1,500 pastors a month. It's, it's a ridiculous number that I can't wrap my head around enough to quote. But it's like some of those small churches are never going to open again. They just died. And we watched it happen. And it's like, wow, things are changing so fast. Things have crumbled so much that people would rather watch online than show up for church. And I don't mean show up, because showing up for church does not mean that you're plugged in or a part of church. Man, it's a vision to see our community change. It's a vision to see your neighbor's lives change. It's a, it's a vision to see people who will say to you, oh, I'm a Christian, and, and they're living in drugs and alcohol, and it's like... I'm not here to beat them up, and that's not my point. I'm saying, if you're a Christian, that is not the direction of the cross. You've got to turn around and go this way, and it's not about fixing what they're doing. It's about healing their heart that's got them doing that. And that's what Jesus wants to do in their lives. He doesn't want us to go to church. And I, I, I mean, cliche, I say he wants us to be the church. But the point is, he wants us in a close personal relationship with him that begins when we surrender to him. We don't accept him. We surrender to him and say, what now, Lord? What do you want from us? I'm reading a book called um, um, Lead Like It Matters. It it. What is it? It is the gospel. It is the presence of God. It is the Holy Spirit in Craig Rochelle's book. And it is undefined by him as much as it's defined by him. And it's great. But I began to look at He said, listen, you've got to look at your church and you've got to say in the midst of crisis that's going on in our world today, what are the things that you need to be doing and what are the things that you should not be doing? And I tried to strip our church all the way down to the ministries that take place here, not to, not to say, hey, we're doing good, we should do it, but to look at it and say, is there anything we shouldn't be doing? And we've got a, a V Kids ministry going on, we've got a, a Vineyard Student ministry going on, we've got an outreach program, or some churches will call it a missions program going on, we've got our discipleship, which is our small groups. But listen, if, if you're in this church and you're following Jesus and you're not plugged into a small group, you're kind of on the outside of the church, wondering how come you're not on the inside? Just a thought, okay? And then we've got a hospitality ministry, and then we've got a welcome team ministry, and so we've got some of these things, and, and we've got to stop and say, because people are calling us all the time, 
And it's growing. You heard Jay say that 30 families are being ministered to at the Hope Food Pantry, and that number has grown. We started with one, if you, if you saw Brianna's testimony. She said, I just was praying, Lord, let one person show up, please, on day one for us. And people kept asking me, Pastor Joe, you know, we need to advertise. You know, we need to do this. We got egged as a church because we wouldn't advertise the way some guy that walked in the door wanted us to advertise. And he egged a living daylights at his church. Two dozen eggs. And it it was nasty and gross and awful, and he got some other people too. But the point, the, the point is there is so much work to be done, we can't do it all. And people are calling us all the time saying, listen, I mean, I'm getting things this long. I, I've got cancer. I can't work. My wife's this. And, and I, I understand. You can sit there and say, ah, they're lying to you. I agree with you. Some of them are, but not all of them. And they're like, hey, they're going to turn our electricity off. They're going to turn our gas off. They're going to turn our... Listen, some of them are lying to us. Not all of them. But we are seeing it start to escalate. Let me just say this. The world that you and I live in, as much as we live in a very pretty world, a very fun world, a very exciting world, and I believe that, it's also in rubbles. Spiritually, it is in rubble. And people are just, they're approaching it the wrong way. As a church, our intention is to move people through the steps of adoption into the family. What it means for us to build up the walls of people's lives, of our community, is to take them from being com consumers. People that will stand back, point, mock, watch, negative. Nobles of Judah were undermining Nehemiah, but sending reports and messages. Some of um, Nehemiah's people that were doing it were sending messages to Tobiah, who is actively interfering and threatening the rebuild. Um, the consumers are people that will pop in, take a, you know, a, a drink of what's going on in here and say, ah, you guys aren't doing it right. I can't tell you the people that have come in here and told me that what I'm supposed to be doing is I'm supposed to be keeping all of the Jewish feasts from the Old Testament and including, it's like, have you read the New Testament? Have you read what Jesus said? Do you really want to be um, uh, living under 613 commandments? When the scripture very clearly says you've been set free, do you want to pick and choose the scriptures from the Old Testament? Or do you want to live in the freedom of love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself? For this sums up the law and the prophets. And they come in here all the time, and they're consumers. They want to take, and, and listen, I'm not saying like they're awful, nasty, horrible people. If you're in here, we are glad that you are here. But our goal is that the scripture and the presence of God will begin to affect your heart. And then what happens is we want to move them to the committed. And these are the people in the community. They're the entrepreneurs. We work with them. We invest time, money into this. They're people that will invest time, money into the community. They lead teams. They participate. Even when they're not the leaders, they still are looking for ways that they can be a part of this thing. And they want to see their community outside the walls of this building changed. And they believe that the mission inside of this building can actually accomplish it. And our goal is to take them from the community to the committed to the core. And that's a really, really old school Rick Warren Saddleback Church from California sort of a thing. As we're moving them through there, the core of the people that don't just give, they sacrifice. They can see the need, the pain, the hurt, the loss, the dying so well that they have to get involved. They're already all in. I heard a pastor say to me one time, personally, if you want to know where you fit into this community committed core, he said back then, he said, open up your checkbook, Joe. 
He said, open up your checkbook. He said, open up your day runner. We had a day runner. We didn't have a calendar on a cell phone. We had a day runner. Open up my notebook day runner. And it's like, how much of your time and your energy is spent in the things of the kingdom of God? Not that you've got a clock at all, but just in your everyday life. How much of what you are doing are you doing in the kingdom of God? So what are we going to do? You and I live in a world where our world is in rubbles and we've got to decide what to do. And you and I can sit back and say, it's that political faction, it's that political faction, it's these people, if they would just do this. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I sit with some really smart people at the coffee shop. <laughs> okay, I really do. You know, multimillionaires, a couple of two or three PhDs, a couple of master's degrees, you know, and that's just one guy. Seriously, I'm not lying. This guy just keeps learning. You know, he's like 70 and he just keeps on learning. And, it, it, and it's crazy. And they argue back and forth about, and you know what? The government has never called and asked us about the fix. It blows my mind because we've, we've fixed it over the last three or four years, about three or four hundred times. We really have. One time we had to sit out in the rain because the government wouldn't let us go inside the coffee shops. So we sat outside in the drizzle. And we talked about what needed to happen to fix this thing. And they didn't always agree on it, but the government never called us. And so sometimes it just feels like, well, then nothing will ever change. It won't. Nothing will ever change. It won't. Until you do something. I cannot make it any more simple than that. Nobody will ever get saved until you talk to them about Jesus. Nobody's ever going to go to church until you invite them. Nobody's going to make you get plugged into a small group until you see the benefit of being around Christian people. It's not going to happen. Nobody's going to make you see the benefit of the Hope Food Pantry for people that that's eh, probably in there, somebody in there taking advantage of us. I'm going to be honest with you. Who cares? Who cares? We're just going to keep doing it. But we need to keep moving forward. Our city is in ruins. People in our communities are dying and going to hell, and we don't see that as a, I don't know if we don't see it as a real deal or a big deal. And I'm not saying that you're not in touch with hell. I believe you're in, you're in touch with the awareness of what it is and stuff. And I'm not saying you've got a callous heart that's so callous that, uh, what I'm saying is, how real is real? How real is 9-11 to you right now? Because if you look at the world that we live in, it's like probably not very much. We've kind of moved past it, right? Well, multiply that by 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And we're not really big on that. We're just really big about you need church. You don't need church. You need Jesus, and he will bring you to church. I promise you that, because he said he's going to build the church. So he's going to bring you to church. But the city is in ruins. Here's my concern. It's always been my concern as a pastor. Many churches are growing by getting people to leave their churches and come to the new church. That's not church growth. That's stealing sheep. That's John 10.10. With all due respect, I know pastors that I sit with will say, yeah, but we know that people move. I get that. I get that. But that's the difference between people feeling like they're being moved and people being sought after. We will not be a church that seeks after people from other churches. And, and this, that, what that means is you don't go to other churches and say, yeah, you need to come to our church. They don't. They're in a church. They're in a church. Because what's happening is, all we're doing is taking the 11% of people that are in church on Sunday morning and changing their seat. That's all we're doing. Okay? We still have the 89% that aren't going to church. And we need those people. We are after those people. There are 92,090 people in this county, according to the census of 2020. That's up from when I moved here in 2003, way up. 
okay? People are moving into Madison County. <clears throat> there are 35,744 people in Richmond proper inside the city limits. It used to be um, 23, 27, 27,000, I think, when I moved here. It's going up. And only 11% of those people are in church. The people that are sitting at home, that's who we're after. This is who we want to grow. That's who we're after. This is who we want to grow. And that's what small groups and, and growing is all about. That's what preaching a message and trying to find something from this story that will affect our lives in America today is all about. In our church, if I could target two areas for growth, two specific areas that I could just, and I'm not saying these are the worst areas in our church, these are the most awful areas in your church. I think that these two areas of our church are absolutely key and they are something that we can eventually do something about. And I don't mean eventually like years down the road. I mean like weeks, months down the road, okay? And that is our kids' ministry and our student ministry, both of those. Not because we just want more people to pour in, but what we want is people involved, and we want those things to be something. Not, I'm not interested in building King's Island in the mall. That is not what I'm after. I'm not doing Nickelodeon. What I'm looking for is passionate young people that love Jesus, that want to study Scripture, that want the Holy Spirit inside of them, that want to go out and minister to their friends and to their neighbors, that want to mow lawns, talk about Jesus, pray for people, care about people, take um, cookies to people, um, love on people. If we can do that, amazing things can happen. Because listen, most of you walked in here, and, and, and if you knew us and if you didn't know us, it doesn't matter. You walked in here, and one of your first concerns was, hey, what about my kids? It is. It's what about my kids? And for some of you, it's little tiny kids. And that number's growing. That's good, because that means, to some degree, our marriages are healthy. Okay? To some degree. So that's growing. But some of you are bringing teenagers here and you're like, hey, I, I need something there. And you're absolutely right. Those two areas, if we could take our vineyard kids and if we could take our student ministries and if we could sit down and have a big conversation and say, let's wreck these things and let's do something amazing with them, people would notice. But I'm not after people from other churches. I'm after people that need to know Jesus. So how do we get new folks to sign up to be involved? Think about this for just a second. If you were raised in church at all and you came here from a more traditional church, you got up, you got your shower, you cleaned up, put the kids in the car, argued with your husband or your wife about, you know, who was taking too long, and maybe you, the husband, sitting out in the car, beeping the horn, saying, come on, girl, and she's in there with nine kids, trying to get them all ready, and you're like, hey, it's, it's our roles. It's like, mm, we need to talk. But that being said, okay, and then you headed off to church, you got to church at 9.30, Sunday school started, and uh, that lasted till 10.30, and then you had a half hour break, 11 o'clock, church started, and then church is over because we want to keep it to an hour so that we get to the restaurant first. I was there, before, I did that for 10 years, um, get to the restaurant first, and that's all good, so we leave the church at 12 o'clock. So you're in church from 9.30 to 12. Why are we afraid to be a church of people that serve one and attend one? It's the same amount of time. I watch people, honestly, if I can just say it, leave this church and they're like, yeah, we got to have something different. We got to do something different. Something's got to go on. And they won't plug in and serve and attend one. They'll only serve the one that they're attending. 
and then they go to church where they are there for four and a half hours. And they're like, wow, this is great. It's like, all you had to do is do four and a half hours and try to find a way to say, how can we build our own family up and make it amazing? That's all they had to do. And I'm, again, some people move. Some people need to move. Some people, I, I, I'm not here to throw rocks at people that are doing that. I'm just saying, do you want this city to be amazing? Do you want this city to make a difference? We can do that. All we have to do is kind of get outside the consumer mentality just a little bit. Our vision is to create a community. We need to do that. The Lord has given us a staff that is so amazing at their jobs, and they lead people so well. They really do. And they've been so careful with their resources that our resources have gone way up during the last two years because we have just cut back on some things. But we're still saying we can reach out into the community and do amazing things. But what we're not trying to do is create a spectacle. We're not create, trying to create a Sunday morning concert. We're not trying to create a Sunday morning event like the five at nine or you know some kind of interview process up here. We want it to be about Jesus. We want to talk about Jesus. We want to say this is what the Lord God Almighty is saying, but if relationships will eventually connect us as family. And Sunday morning becomes an opportunity to worship God. Simply put on the website, it says we exist to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and see their lives grow through discipleship. What we want to encourage you to do is get to know some other people in here. Make friends. Invite them to your house. Go out to dinner with them. Take your kids to the park with their kids. Have a good time because eventually we want to grow that community into a family. A family that lives together, plays together, and I'm sorry, let's just be honest, fights together. I'm, I'm just saying. You know, listen, I sit with some of you. You need to go back and apologize to your siblings. You know, you need to apologize to your mom and your daddy just a little bit. You know, I, I bet I'm sitting with my mom driving around one day and I just said mom you remember this time back in my life then she's like yes honey she still loves me I said I lied to you she said I know honey she didn't even take a breath it's like the Lord told her what I was about to say I lied to you I told her that somebody from Ohio gave me that and I was just a dumb little kid and I thought she would buy it and I was so smart I'm talking about like six years seven years eight years have gone by I'm driving my mom around she goes I know I know I know I said, why didn't you say something? She said, I also knew you'd come apologize. Because apologizing is important. Sitting down and have some coffee and talking it out and working it out, that's important. But when that doesn't happen, we begin to, as it's, I've just been aware lately, we begin to write fiction about the circumstance. And that's not what God's inviting us to do. He wants us to be family. So what does it mean for us to be church family? We need to grow deep and wide. Not deep or wide. Deep and wide in our own holiness, the things that we will watch, the things that we will listen to, the things that we will partake of, we need to grow deep and wide, not deep or wide. We can play games and call it church all day long, or we can get hungry and we can get filled and then we can get busy. Get hungry for God, get filled with the Spirit, and then get busy with the kingdom. Number two, we need to give. Our tithe 
and our money, not our tithe or our money. And I'm not here to just talk about your money, but it's always included in the scripture, so I'm here, okay? But we share the burden in service and sacrifice. I love seeing people use their gifts. This is the picture I chose from the, the harvest thing this past weekend, and, and, and I see this picture, and moms are bringing their kids, dads are bringing their kids, people are plugging in to help with the painting, everybody's looking for a way to make it happen. Can you imagine how big that event could get if we just all believe? that by having an event out on the Mitchell's farm that had a thousand people attending it and probably five or six hundred people running it and talking about Jesus inviting lost people to church because guess what? People that don't go to church are still looking for things to do with their kids and if they can do it in a wholesome, safe environment, wow, they might ask us why we're doing it. We might get to talk about Jesus and that would be awesome. Last night, Eric Botsford, John Isaacs, Nicola Cassetta, and Tony Toy linked arms with the paddy wagon downtown, Silas and Chuck Fields. Sil I don't know Silas' last name, but in Chuck Fields, and they raised money for Hope Food Pantry. You know why? Because as a community, we can make a difference in our community. This is, I went down there, and Eric in the cowboy hat, but he wasn't wearing a cowboy hat last night. I am calling him out on stage for that this morning, but he was not wearing a cowboy hat at the paddy wagon last night. We can talk about that if you want to, okay? But the the fact of the matter is, yes, I will link hands with them to feed people in this county. I will do it every single day. But they know I'm going to talk about Jesus, and they don't have to. But to be willing to have an event that raised almost $1,100 last night, just simply to take it out there and dump it into that offering box so that we can buy $1,100 worth of food because we know 30 families are going to come in the next time that we're open. Amazing! And I'm not complaining about the buzz that somebody said, oh, your church did that with a bar. They got food too. <laughs> you been to Malone's? There's a big bar in there. You been to Tony's? There's a big bar in there. You been to Frank and Dino's? You got to get past one of the most beautiful bars I've ever seen. And I'm not a bar guy. Come on. I'll link hands with them all day long to feed people and make a difference in this county for the opportunity to talk to the people that I talk to at that table about Jesus and let them know we're not all just a bunch of stuff, corn cob up our behinds, straight neck, weird people. We like to enjoy life. We like to be community. I know we knock heads because I'm not doing what you want or you're not doing what I want. But I'm not walking out on you. It's not going to happen. You know why? Because we're family. And the family that I'm looking to adopt in here doesn't go to church in this county. That's who we need to be looking for. That's the difference that we need to be making because if we can build that wall, we can put the city of Jerusalem back together. We can put the gates up. We can be community. Because what happens next is, let me just see if I can do this all together. We need to grow. We need to give. And then we need to go. We need to go. That's what needs to happen. We, we grow till we understand that God wants us to give our time, our lives to the kingdom of God. 10%, and I can argue that from Matthew 23, 23 all day long with you, if you'd like to. 
But what that means is my wife and I take our income, we divide it by 10, we take a little more than 10% of that, and we chunk it back into the kingdom of God. That's how you know what a tithe is. It's not a little bit of money. It's a tithe. Now listen to me. This church is a giving church. It is, and I love it. I love that I don't stand up here and ask for money. But I got to tell you, just like people that are getting married that are living together already, I tell them, I can't ask God to bless you if you're shaking your fist in God's face. I can't. It's when you decide you're going to do it God's way that that favor begins to fall on your life, and that's what I'm after. We need to go into our county, into our workplaces, and until you see the depth of what God has for you, you won't see the need to do that for other people. It's important, like, like um, Nehemiah did, to look back and say, but let me tell you what God's done for us. And it's important for you to do that. Your neighbors need an invite to church. Your boss needs an invite to church. Your enemy needs an invite to church. Your marriage needs an invite to church. Your sin needs an invite to church. And I'm just here to tell you right now that if you think that I'm standing up here because I am sinless, I apologize to you right now. You're in the wrong building. I struggle just like anybody else. I have just learned that if I go to God and I repent, that he will forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And if I will confess my sin to somebody else, then they will pray for me that this is not a place, and I don't want it to be a place where we throw rocks at your struggle. The greatest moves of the Holy Spirit in the history of the world happened when people repented of their sin instead of justifying it. They were willing to say, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, I'm a pervert. Uh, Joe, you just don't understand. I can't stop stealing things. Um, I'm a gossip. Goodness sakes, nobody ever touches that one. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm whispering in people's ears. I don't know how to touch it myself. I'm gossiping about not knowing how to talk about gossip. I'm just saying, man, pick a sin. We're all in here because we're in need of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah risked his life. You read the story. He heavily invested his finances. He would not take any food that belonged to the governor. Instead, he took it all out of his own pocket and fed people on a daily basis for almost 60 days and not just a little bit of food. He sold the vision and said, you know what? Can you see a new Jerusalem with new walls, with people coming back, coming in, celebrating God, seeing their marriages healed, being willing to grow instead of, uh, of just take? And just for the record, I believe that God is going to turn this mall into a 501c3 center. And I'm not done believing that. The scary part is, He's going to do it with us or he's going to do it without us. And I would rather it was with me. I want to continue to move forward. That is not my whole goal. Seeing people saved in this county is my goal. Moving those people over into pennies and then eventually setting up a structure that will withstand the economic bomb that I think is going to happen when this project is done and everybody vacates this county and the economy falls out the bottom, that's my goal. Think down the road, live for today. Think down the road, but minister to people today. 
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are in this whole thing. I don't know where you are in this church. I just want to encourage you that if you're here, it was by appointment from God. I'm not going to quote Psalm 139 to you again, okay? But it's there. Every day ordained for me. There, I'm done. I did quote a little bit, okay? A little bit. Okay. You're in here to hear this because God wants to touch you personally. He does. Because he has things in store for you. And he's waiting on you. And I don't know what that wait is. But I want to invite you that these people are up here to pray for you because God's moving in your heart today. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Nehemiah. We thank you for Jerusalem. We thank you for heaven. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb that was shed for our sins, God. We thank you that all of the sins of the world have been paid for. The wrath of God has been extinguished, that we don't have to worry about that ever again. But I don't know the timeline, God. And so today I need to live for you. I need to enjoy the life you've given me and take advantage of the opportunity to share my testimony of you with somebody else. Open up my mouth, God. Open up my heart. Give me a passion to see lost people in this county, in central Kentucky even, come to know you as their Lord and Savior and then do great things. Thank you for the people that are investing as much as they can financially with their gifts, even in bars, in their communities, in their workplaces, just to see people saved. Let your favor rest upon them in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We're going to go into this song. I just want to invite you to come to your feet. These people are up here. If there's something that you would like to have prayed for, it doesn't matter if I've talked about it or not, you just move forward during this song, and they are going to be here for you.